Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Should we, should we start? No, ladies first? No, say it, because I think it sounds really nice with your accent. Did you guys see that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are uh, starting a podcast? I did not see that. Hi, guys. I'm Harry. And I'm Megan. Is that going to be competition for us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Competition. Royal competition. <laughs> you're, you're bringing up something that, one, I never expected to discuss on a Politico podcast. But two, since we are discussing it, I saw the news that Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, announcing Spotify exclusive podcast. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's media empire is expanding into podcasting. And I thought to myself, if I'd seen that headline eight years ago, 10 years ago, I, I don't know if I would have known what to do with any part of that announcement. <laughs> Very 2020 sort of announcement. Yeah, I thought you were going <laughs> to say they were getting vaccinated or something, but it went in a whole different direction. <laughs> well, maybe they should get vaccinated on the pod. I'm game if you can <laughs> book that, Jeremy. I'm going to look at you. <laughs> all right. All right. 2021 goals. Um, we're we're going to have <laughs> Prince Harry and Meghan Markle on, on the podcast with us and uh, it'll be fun. It'll be in person. We'll all be vaccinated, hopefully. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, they may not be Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, but when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic... They know their stuff. Dan Diamond and Rachel Rubine on an historic week in the fight against COVID with the U.S. issuing its first vaccinations. About 2.9 million doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine are rolling out across the country this week. After a day of inoculations and celebrations tonight at hospitals across the country, frontline doctors and nurses are lining up to receive doses of the first vaccine approved to stop the spread of the coronavirus. They're being prioritized for frontline workers, uh, health officials, doctors, nurses, people who have been responding to COVID-19. So yes, we are getting closer to the goal of containing COVID-19, though it's more of an incremental step. Those 2.9 million doses, while absolutely terrific. That's just a fraction of the population. Now, FDA is set to authorize a second vaccine from Moderna. And we're expecting that authorization to come through on Thursday. But there's still going to be another process of distributing those doses as well. This is happening almost a year after the first confirmed COVID case in the U.S. and months after the pandemic, you know, shut down parts of the country, thrust first responders into extremely difficult roles with hospitals overrun, threatened at several parts of the pandemic by a lack of equipment, hospital beds. Dan, what does this moment, having these first vaccines rolled out to first responders first, what does this moment mean for first responders themselves? I'm glad you asked, because, Jeremy, that's the question I've had, too. I mean, Rachel and I, we cover this pandemic from a national level. We get officials on the phone with us to talk about their strategy. I just wanted to hear from some first responders. I I don't mind shots in the first place, so it wasn't too bad. So there wasn't any sense of dread about, like, ugh, getting a shot. I was so excited. I didn't feel it at all. And I called a young doctor that I know, Kelly Wong. It's good to see you. This is fun. She's an emergency medicine doctor at Brown up in Rhode Island. And Kelly told me, after fighting the pandemic for most of this year, being on the front lines for nine months, 
this was a moment full of joy. This is such a moment for me and all of my co-residents and my colleagues and my co-workers. And a moment that she felt like she had to celebrate by taking a picture and putting it on social media. That's how I saw it in the first place. This is kind of the first time where I've, where I've needed to document something like this in a healthcare setting. Like we're all sh- taking a photo and we're all sharing it because we're so excited that this is happening. But I understand that that also is causing a lot of anxiety for people who don't yet know when they're going to get the vaccine. And one thing that Kelly said that really struck me was how excited she used to be as an emergency doctor before the COVID pandemic of meeting that mystery patient. And now, months into fighting this thing, that mystery isn't interesting. It's terrifying. And that's taken away some of the joy of why I went into my job. But for people like Dr. Kelly Wong, who's been trying to protect herself for months from COVID-19, this is the moment that they've been waiting for. I think going to work and not feeling like I'm risking my life with every patient encounter um, is really going to change my attitude. Rachel, you've spent months reporting on the efforts that led up to this moment and what's happening with the vaccine rollout. Um, What needs to happen for it all to work out? What could go wrong during the process now that we do have some of these vaccines? Um, What are the logistical next steps from this week that need to happen with this vaccine to start moving from first responders to getting the entire country vaccinated and on track to returning to a post-pandemic life? That's a great question. And just to to step back real quick, as Dan said, 2.9 million of Pfizer's vaccine going out this week. Um, If Moderna gets its emergency use authorization, nearly 6 million shots from Moderna will go out across the country next week and about 2 million more of Pfizer's vaccine as well. So that's um, ramping up the supply of vaccine. However, um, you know, you talk to states, uh, public health experts, and that's still a very limited supply. So they still have to ration the doses. So what we're going to see this weekend on Sunday, a CDC advisory panel is going to be looking at who will be prioritized next. So these kind of 1B, 1C prioritization phases. And they're looking at choosing between the 81 million essential workers, 53 million adults over 65, and 100 million people with high-risk medical conditions. And you can see how, how that could be complicated because those decisions, while they'll get guidance from the federal government's advisory panel, um, those decisions are really still left up to states to grapple with. What are the biggest challenges ahead for, you know, actually rolling out vaccines? Like once they have it figured out who's going to get these after first responders, what sort of things could complicate the process in the weeks and months ahead as they try to get it to more and more people and eventually people like you and me? Yeah, I mean, first, it's figuring out that prioritization. And and even within that, that's complicated because you think about the 81 million essential workers. So, you know, do teachers get it first? Um, Do meat packers get it first. There's there's a lot of people who say that um, they've been put at risk and should be one of the first in line to get the vaccine. So that's hard decisions that will be like at the state and the local level. Um, combating vaccine hesitancy is something that comes up a lot. I mean, there are going to be a core of people 
who will not take a vaccine no matter what you do. There are different polls about Americans being hesitant to get the vaccine for, for varying reasons. I don't think you should give up on them, but I don't think you should necessarily expect. But there's a larger group of people who just probably have misinformation. And then one of the big challenges is funding. You talk to states, you talk to local health departments, and I mean, they really say that that's one of their number one priorities is they need money to be able to accomplish any of these goals, like reaching underserved communities um, or combating vaccine hesitancy with um, public education campaigns. Um, I talked to Pennsylvania's health secretary last week, Rachel Levine, and she was talking about how the state didn't um, yet have the money it needed to launch a robust public education campaign. Dan, Rachel mentioned a couple barriers there to states getting the vaccine out there and getting people vaccinated, including hesitancy for people to take it, people maybe not trusting the vaccine. What can people at the top levels of the federal government in the White House, say, do to try to inspire confidence in a vaccine and help states with this? Like, I know, you know, it's important to get the vaccine to first responders first, but do you do things like have the president, have the vice president, have the president-elect take the vaccine to help with this situation? Jeremy, there's a bit of a delicate dance, both with politics, optics, morals. I thought our colleague Alice Miranda Olstein and some other political reporters did a good job digging into what it means for, say, Donald Trump to get the vaccine before a doctor does or before someone who might be at high risk of COVID complications would get it. So officials have, have tried not to be seen as publicly clamoring for this. At the same time, there's clear value in the steady function of government. So Mike Pence, Donald Trump, they may well get the vaccine in the coming days. Career government scientist Tony Fauci has publicly said that the president and the vice president should get vaccinated. You know, I, if, if, if he were asking me, I would recommend that he do that as well as Vice President Pence. You still want to protect people who are, you know, very important to our country right now. He's also said the same about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, the incoming administration. Meanwhile, people like Alex Azar, the top health secretary, have been appearing at public vaccination events around Washington, D.C. This is a 94% effective vaccine. It's gone through every every aspect of FDA process with integrity and transparent data. Uh, I know if you are recommended to get it and it's available for you, oh, please do get it. Protect yourself and protect those around you, but please get the vaccine. Trying to show that this is not just something that people should be getting for their safety. I think it's also the Trump administration is trying to show their hands on this process. Many senior officials argue that the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed rushed these vaccines, and I think there's a battle over credit going on, both obviously and subtly, with a new administration set to take the White House next year. Rachel, I'm curious, you know, obviously there are some issues that can come up and we've been talking about some of the, you know, potential roadblocks with rolling out a vaccine and everything, but... Seeing some of these images of people getting these first vaccinations, hearing stories like what Dan told us of frontline workers getting their first vaccinations. I mean, it is pretty amazing to see, especially when we've just been like hammered with bad news on the pandemic for months. Do you think, you know, looking, say, like half a year or a year down the line that we're going to look back at this week as 
the beginning of the end of the pandemic in the U.S.? Um, I think you you listen to governor's press conferences this week as they you know, lay out their strategies for giving vaccines and who's gotten vaccinated in their communities. 11 months after scientists the world over got their hands on the genetic sequence of the virus, we are seeing the beginning of the end of this pandemic. Today marks the beginning of the end of COVID-19. That's certainly a phrase that is talked about a lot because really the the kind of only way right now to achieve a semblance of normalcy in the United States is have more and more people be vaccinated from this just such infectious, deadly disease that's really changed our way of life here in America. Rachel Rubine, Dan Diamond, Thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Jeremy, thanks for having us and uh, your friends, Megan and Harry. (laughs) Someday soon. (laughs) Also today, President-elect Joe Biden is tapping Brenda Mallory to lead the White House Council on Environmental Equality. That's according to two people familiar with this election. Mallory is a veteran environmental lawyer who's also served in the office before as general counsel during the Obama administration and currently leads the Southern Environmental Law Center's regulatory practice. The Council on Environmental Quality is an office with sweeping purview over how the federal government assesses environmental effects of policies, permits, and infrastructure projects. And Mallory's selection fulfills wishes of environmental activists and lawmakers like Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer to install someone in the Senate-confirmed role who has a history of working on environmental issues that disproportionately affect low-income communities and people of color. And the U.S. Central Bank is giving a slightly less gloomy prediction of the pandemic's effect on the economy this year. In an update on Wednesday, officials from the Federal Reserve said they expect the U.S. economy to shrink by 2.4 percent this year, which marks a brighter forecast than they offered just two months ago when they said output could drop as much as 3.7 percent. Still, the hit to the GDP roughly equals that of 2009, which was the worst year of the Great Recession. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Nerdcast, Pulse Check, Politico Energy, Women Rule, and Global Translations. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>